0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Disenfranchised Podcast. We're a podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancied themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me as always, that guy over there holding a sword aloft above his head and screaming loudly into the void, that is my co-host Brett Wright. How you doing, Brett?
1: I have the power!
0: as long as one of us does
1: yeah i I don't really that's a (laughs) lie i've lied to you people i don't have any power
0: well i mean you have the power as to whether or not that line stays in the episode so don't cut yourself too short there man you've got something that's fair point uh but yeah so brett we are uh we're a podcast that talks about movies we are a podcast that talks about movies that uh generally don't get sequels Uh, So what movie are we talking about today and why are we talking about it? We are talking about, in honor of the release of the new Netflix
1: cartoon series, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. We're going to be talking about the movie
0: from the 80s based on the original
1: cartoon, Masters of the Universe.
0: The cartoon based on the toy line, Masters of the Universe. Right. from, From 1987 directed by Gary Goddard, written by David O'Dell, starring Dolph Lundgren, Frank Langella, Meg Foster, Billy Barty, the great Billy Barty. We'll get into it. Courtney Cox, Robert Duncan McNeil, John Cypher, Chelsea Field, James Tolkan, Christina Pickles, Tony Carroll, Pons Marr, Anthony DeLongis, Robert Towers, Barry Livingston, and many more. Uh, Brett. Uh, what is your familiarity level with He Man and or the Masters of the Universe? So I'm gonna I'm gonna kill my nerd cred a little bit maybe. Oh oh, I don't like He Man. <gasps> I'm just gonna
1: say it. I don't I don't like. I've never liked He Man. I do not care for He Man. I thought that shit was boring. Um. Uh. My. Uh. So my familiarity with the source material is. I mean, it's pop culture stuff i never watched it so i just Just know kind of
0: through cultural osmosis. moses yeah basically uh never watched the show never got any of the action figures never watched this movie before
1: nope none of that uh my uh look i watched i watched the original ghostbusters filmation cartoon that's the filmation cartoon i watched never uh never even
0: fair enough Uh, whereas I was not allowed to watch He-Man growing up because uh, it had magic and Skeletor had a face like a skull and was therefore evil. So I was not allowed to watch He-Man. So most of what I know about He-Man is cultural osmosis. Um, However, when I was in college, my friend Rich, hi, Rich, if you're listening, uh, you might be actually. Um, Hello, Rich. Uh, He used to host every Tuesday night, or no, it was Thursday. I'm sorry. It was Thursday night. Uh, we called them bad movie Thursdays, or maybe it was Tuesday. I don't know. It was the day of the week that started with tea and we, it had bad movie in front of it. And we would get together and we would watch a bad movie. And this was, if I'm not mistaken, the second movie we ever watched for bad movie Tuesday. I'm almost certain it was Tuesday. Now this I think was the second movie we ever watched for bad movie Tuesday. The first Brett. Would you want to guess what the most terrible movie that Rich could think to show us might have been? Uh what year are we talking? Uh what year did the movie that he showed us come out? No, the year you'd be watching it. Uh it would have been uh probably my sophomore junior year of college. So we're talking uh to age myself immediately, like um oh three, oh four.
1: Okay. So probably not that yeah. That's probably not relevant information as much as I thought it would have been. No, nope, because um, it's
0: it's it's an older movie.
1: Well, I mean, we've got
0: technically a not a movie. There's a hint for you.
1: Technically not a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. What? Technically not a
1: movie. Nah, I got nothing then.
0: Lost it was a, it was a television special released in 1978, featuring was it uh, well-known the popular Wars, characters. Star yes. Wars Christmas special. It was the Star Wars Holiday Special.
1: See, that's not, hey, like, look, it's not a movie. So, that's
0: what I, that's what, why did I tell
1: you? Not technically a movie. You threw me off from the very beginning. I was hoodwinked and I would like a refund.
0: (laughs) Fine. You may have it. Um, but I mean, so this was like one of the, one of the first movies that we watched for Bad Movie Tuesday. Uh, and we, I mean, we would come back. We watched a lot of Dolph Lundgren, actually. Uh, I think we ended up watching his Punisher movie as well that he made, which I'm sure we'll end up talking about one of these days. I mean, it seems like, an inevitable topic for us at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, we uh play a nine from outer space. Like we just watched and Rich, Rich had this like gleeful love of bad movies. And so we'd watch bad movies and torture ourselves and make fun of them. Kind of MST3K style. Uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. We had a lot of fun, but yeah, so that was my first and up to um, a couple weeks ago when I rewatched it for this episode, only exposure to this movie uh until i rewatched it for the show uh i did not remember any of it like at all
1: and i had never watched it at all so i didn't know what i was expecting i kind of knew it was bad i'd heard it was bad going in
0: so i tempered my expectations as best one could sure and, i mean uh, you know like we've said before there's always kind of the hope or the expectation that uh maybe we'll uh well maybe it's not as bad as we originally thought it might have been yeah i, I have historically done that with a few movies for mm-hmm. this podcast
1: going in thinking it's going to be terrible and i come out the other end going man that's pretty good yeah uh,
0: as bad spoilers as
1: I spoilers did not happen this time
0: <laughs> not even I'm, a little bit i mean they can't all be great right no um I mean, I, I this is not a good movie. I, I can't say that I, I would say this is a masterpiece of cinema. I can't say this is when I rediscovered and went, oh, this is so good. There were some things in it that I appreciated. And I lack the requisite nostalgia really to um, to kind of carry myself through um, on this one to to make myself to delude myself into thinking this is really good. Um, I mean, production values are not strong. This is still one of the more expensive movies that Canon films ever produced. So there's that um but um let's get into a little bit of the background info on he-man and the masters of the universe uh was created in the early 80s i think it was released in 1981 it was created as a way of trying to compete with star wars and gi joe which were held the rights were held by i want to say hasbro and kenner respectively uh kenner had star wars hasbro i think had gi joe if i'm not mistaken that is correct. Um, But those were the two most popular toy lines at the time. Um, And Mattel was most famous for making Barbie. Like they had nothing for boys. They had no action figure line for boys. And so they like put their heads together and they came up with three concepts. There was a military concept, much akin to G.I. Joe. There was a space night concept, very similar to Star Wars. And then there was uh, a barbarian concept, very similar to Conan. And the barbarian concept ended up winning out, largely due to the designs uh, and the storyline that was crafted for the toy line. Um, so the, the designs were really great. The storyline like clicked. It was something they could hang, the, you know, pin the advertising on, uh, and it sold like hotcakes. It became in in the early eighties one of the most popular things uh going like people love t-man people love the masters of the universe um castle grayskull had like two sides to it so i mean it was it was it was there's a lot going on there that people really seem to enjoy
1: and and if i recall this could be me misremembering because it's been a while since i saw that episode of the toys that made us there is an episode on netflix about he man i think or star wars i think it's where... the first
0: episode there's there's two there's one of each
1: yeah and i watched the star wars one and i want to say that the reason that mattel even decided to do a boy toy line
0: was because they turned down star wars they did saw and then, how you know lucrative the it was they, do you know the reason they turned down star wars i don't remember they turned down star wars because it was based on a movie And they said, now, if we really want to sell toys, we need to get a toy line that's based on a TV show because TV shows are watched week after week. They're always there. They hit again and again and again. A movie, it gets released once and then that's it. Like the excitement, the fervor for it is eventually going to peter out and die off. So they were like, we don't want to do anything with a movie. We want to, you know, attach ourselves to something with a TV show.
1: Yeah, which... They're great folly. Well, I mean, you would think so. But then look at how popular Heat Man became. So maybe it was—it's
0: still no Star Wars.
1: It is. It is not. Uh, they, they at made the end of the money. day, they made a lot of money, but they could have made
0: more. Correct. Life is good, but it could be better. But it could be better. Brett and I are both reaching our hands toward our toward our webcams right now, much like Pedro Pascal. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they turned down the rights, uh, eventually the, the toy line was doing very well. And then someone kind of makes a snide remark, someone outside the company makes a snide remark, like, yeah, but you don't have a TV show, you know, all the good toys are, you know, associated with the TV show. You guys don't have a TV show. It's never going to, it's never going to last. And so they took that as a challenge and they shopped around a He-Man TV show, which no one wanted until they came to the aforementioned filmation who picked it up and decided to run with it. Orko, uh, the character Orko, was uh, created for the cartoon show and uh, became a fan-favorite character. They had never made an action figure for him, never considered it, and he became so popular on the show that they just kind of had to make an action figure for him. Um, Orko not in this
1: movie. Which I thought was a little weird. Orko's, like, right up there as, like, an iconic, like, character. But... I guess I could
0: see where maybe he's
1: not. It might have been hard to do.
0: Yeah, based on what I've read, that is the reason Orko is not in this movie, because he would have been his character design would have been too difficult to translate to live action. Uh, so he is replaced in this movie by a, a a similar type of character, Gwildor, played by the late, great Billy Barty, uh, one of the all time uh, great little person actors. Um maybe one of my favorite little person actors. Uh, he's absolutely fantastic. He was the High Aldwin in Willow, a movie we will probably cover one of these days. He uh, is Screwball in Legend. He is Noodles Macintosh in UHF. Um, he's Hips McManus on the new Batman adventures. Like, uh, dude got work uh, and is, is legitimately just one of the all-time greats. Um, little person actors. Same year this comes out, he's in a musical version of Rumplestiltskin as you guessed it, Rumplestiltskin, which may have been the first place I ever saw him. I mean, he didn't play the princess. No, shockingly, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that, the voice is all him. Like he is, he is an absolutely fantastic actor. Um, and uh, because of his stature, did not get. Uh, a lot of credit, but I think he, I mean, I would say him and Hervé Villachez were probably two of the pioneers for uh, a lot of little little person actors uh, in Hollywood. Um, there, there's probably some name that I'm missing uh, as I'm not as well versed as some others. Jack Purvis, I know would probably be one. Kenny Baker's up there. Like there are a lot of really kind of renowned guys, but Billy Barty is absolutely one of them. He plays Willie in Life Stinks. The Mel Brooks film, Life Stinks. He's in there. So, I mean, great actor. Um, he is missed. He died in 2000 at the age of 76. So just, you know, great guy. Great, uh, great actor. Love him. Miss him. Billy Barty. R.I.P. I
1: would say he's a pretty he's a pretty good bright spot in this
0: movie. Uh, yeah. I, even though the character itself is in, intentionally written to be kind of annoying because it's kind of what orko's function is orko's kind of an obnoxious character he's the one who's always screwing stuff up um but unlike orko i i I took to most of the most of my notes um calling him not orko as i was kind of taking notes on this movie. like okay so not orko's doing this not orko's doing that um because he's not he's not orko orko is a magician uh who's not as as skilled with the magics um and gwildor is a scientist of sorts or an engineer i guess that would probably be more accurate he's a he's kind of an inventor he's a locksmith he's he's a craftsman he builds things Uh, most notably he's built the cosmic key which you know was supposed to be a toy oh 100 yes absolutely that, that thing has Toyetic written all over it. Like, you know, that was supposed to be the big merchandising thing from this movie. However, uh, this movie did so poorly in the box office, they never actually made it. So go figure. Yikes.
1: Yep. Because, I mean, it's, it is kind of cool. It looks cool. Plays music.
0: Yeah. And have did, have you ever noticed? So, like, if you go up to a keyboard and just start, like, hitting notes, they're going to sound kind of discordant and cacophonic, like yeah. the sound isn't going to be great. Yet every time anyone pushes any button on that cosmic key, it sounds at least somewhat melodic.
1: But yeah, because magic.
0: <laughs> but it's pointedly not magic, though. There's there's very limited amount of magic in this movie.
1: <laughs> Is there? I mean, I mean, basically everything that happens at the end of
0: this movie is magic. Okay, I'm up, up to the end. I mean, there is the character called the Sorceress played by Christina Pickles. Um, and Skeletor has some, some magic stuff going on, but pretty much everyone else not really using magic. Well. Um... And let's be honest, those two characters, not in the movie as much as everyone else. Skeletor does not really do his own bidding until the very end. He's always sending henchmen out to do it. They're not using magic. He-Man and his crew aren't using magic. Gwildor is the closest thing you got, and Gwildor's got the cosmic key, which is not magic.
1: Look, Steven, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
0: <laughs> okay, nerd. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm a nerd too. Calm down. I refuse. I know let's well let Brett we've been putting it off long enough and I know we both have reason to put it off long enough because we don't want to do it Uh, but it is time for the plot in 60 seconds that is the part of the show where one of us at the behest of our our good friend the coin of justice uh, will recount the plot of masters of the universe from 1987 in 60 seconds or less the coin of justice is ready Brett call it in the air yes And lucky you, it is Tails. Beautiful. So it falls to me to recount the plot of Masters of the Universe from 1987, directed by Gary Goddard and written by David O'Dell, starring Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella in 60 seconds or less. Brett, do you have 60 seconds on the clock? I currently do. Excellent. Well, I am ready when you are, sir.
1: All right, then. Your time starts right
0: now. Skeletor is trying to capture Castle Skull so he can have the power. Um, so he captures the sorceress of Skull, and uh, He-Man and his friends find this dude named Gwildor who's on the run from Skeletor's forces. He shows them the Cosmic Key, which Skeletor is after. They uh, get in a firefight with Skeletor's men and end up uh, using the Cosmic Key to get to Earth. Uh, when they're there, they end up running into um, a girl named Julie and her boyfriend, Kevin, um, who and they're getting ready to break up for some reason. Uh, her parents are dead shoot um the skeletor men attack them they get away um she finds he-man um they get away they find the cosmic key uh it makes music so kevin thinks it's a musical instrument because he's dumb uh there's a lot of stupid chase scenes it's mostly people running around trying to find this cosmic key sentence they all end up back on uh gray skull uh he-man wins uh julie goes back in time to prevent her parents death and he-man has the power And then Skeletor pops up and says, I'll be back.
1: That's time.
0: But he would not be back. No, unfortunately, he would not. Uh, It is rather unfortunate. Uh, Skeletor in this movie, played by Frank Langella. Dracula himself. Dracula himself. (laughs) um, Third time we have discussed a Frank Langella uh, movie on this podcast. Dracula, Small Soldiers, and now Masters of the Universe. Uh, He was Dracula. He was Archer. And now he is Skeletor. Uh, I think I made a joke on the Dracula episode that he has played three of uh, the worst, most evil characters known to man, Dracula, Skeletor and Richard Nixon, for which he was nominated for an Academy Award uh, in Frost Nixon. Uh, Great movie. Uh, I would say good movie that he is great in. Um, And Frank Langella is having the best time with this movie, like the best time with this movie,
1: yeah, real M. Bison vibes.
0: Yeah, he's really m Bison vibes. Yeah, he is, he is, Bison vibes. Right, he's he's chewing up the scenery. He just he's and Frank Langella is probably the person on earth that likes this movie the most. Um, he has gone on record saying that Skeletor is one of his favorite roles that he has ever done. Ever, um, he said he took it because his son was such a big fan of He Man and would was always running around the house saying I have the power and so he's like great I'll I'll play Skeletor and uh he just had so much fun with it like it's one of his top 3 favorite roles that he's played and I just find that hilarious um that he is and he you can tell he is loving every second of this movie uh he is having such a good time
1: honestly I love to see that sort of thing because so often We've talked about terrible movies where just, you know, Dennis Hopper after Super Mario Brothers, for example, was just like mm-hmm. friggin' hates the movie. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's, it gives you that uh, it warms your heart to hear actors that were in terrible movies go, you know what? I had a wonderful time. Screw and you And I guys. mean, here's the
0: thing. Like, Rawl Julia probably didn't like the fact that he had to make Street Fighter, but he poured him his whole self into it. Like uh, Frank Langella both loved that he was in Masters of the Universe and poured his whole self into it. Like something that I've come to appreciate, uh, and I I think I posted about this on uh, our social media accounts earlier today. We are recording this on the great Sir Patrick Stewart's birthday. Uh, He is, and I would say this of Raul Julia, I would say this of Frank Langella, these are actors without pretension. Uh, They have no like stick up their butt about the kinds of things they will and won't do. Like, oh, that kind of role is beneath me. I don't want to do that thing. Uh, And even if they do find themselves needing to take a role like that, even if they do kind of think that on some level, they're still completely pouring themselves into it. And they're really giving it their all. Um, And that's the kind of thing that just I as a as a member of the audience absolutely love, like an actor with no pretension, who goes in and my wife and I were having a conversation that really got me thinking about this the other day. Uh, We were watching the TV show Shameless and starring William H. Macy. And my wife was like, I always thought of him as like this really kind of austere actor. And then he's doing like this and the character that he plays is, is a, a scumbum. He does all sorts of like terrible, horrible, awful things. And you're like, it's not the kind of role that you would normally, and he, he's ridiculous too, like often made to look ridiculous. Oftentimes with his pants literally around his ankles, like it's that kind of show. And it I, it just got me thinking like that. The man is an actor without pretension who enjoys the challenge of finding roles that will take him to places he's never been. Um, but then again, William H. Macy is also the guy who played the shoveler in Mystery Men. So... Maybe he hasn't always been as austere, austere, as we had thought he was. We had thought him to be.
1: Yeah, I and mean, speaking of uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, he's he's told the story plenty of times. Now he used to be that way until he started Next Generation, and uh, the cast and crew of Next Generation had to break him of that pretentiousness. And he and eventually... now he,
0: I mean, he's the kind of guy who will take almost anything. Like him and Ian McKellen both. And I love that about them. Are they, They'll just show up and stuff. And you're like, really? You're doing this? But they're great in it, even though the rest of the project might be complete shit. They're doing really well and they're having a good time. Um, like I'm, I'm trying to think of, I mean, Patrick Stewart was in the Emoji movie as poop. Like you talk about a guy without pretension. What guy is going to sign up and say, let me, let me play the piece of shit. Like literally the piece of shit. Um, in your movie and he does he he plays he plays a piece of shit in a children's movie like that's the kind of ridiculous thing that you're just like man sir patrick good good for you man and he he's he's having a blast he's having a good time
1: yeah well i mean what's funnier than a, a a piece of poop
0: that has a very highfalutin british accent it's the incongruity of the thing it's great you 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 know, it's and I, I love incongruities. I love that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's fun, man. It's fun uh, speak uh, on the other hand. So you've got on the one hand, you have Frank Langella, who is clearly enjoying himself. On the other hand, you have Dolph Lundgren, who you can feel the contempt he has for this movie in every line that he says. Uh, you can tell he just is not having a good time here.
1: No, it really shines through really badly it's just I mean Dolph Lundgren is, has never been the greatest actor don't get me wrong but uh, he's hes almost as bad as uh, Jennifer Garner's acting in Electro was just like cold unemotional just just flat just yeah, giving he's... off really strong I don't want to be here energy
0: mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Like he's not um yeah, he, he's he's not he's not enjoying himself and it shines through in every single thing that he says. He 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 went on record shortly after the this film uh came out as saying this was a nightmare uh that he did not enjoy himself and um would probably never do it again. He came out, you know, back in 2010 and said, "Yeah, I might do a cameo or If, you know, they asked me to play He-Man again, I'd probably say yes. And of course he would. He's, you know, he's getting up there in years and he's not getting as many roles as he was in the early 80s. This is his first starring role in a movie also. At this point, he still is speaking with a fairly thick Swedish accent. Uh, And so the original plan, from my understanding, his first role was in the James Bond film A View to a Kill. Was his very first movie? Plays the henchman Vens. It's more or less a cameo, and then, of course, is his star-making turn as uh, Ivan Vanko or Ivan Drago. Sorry, in uh, Vanko is from uh, Iron Man Two. That damn movie. Uh, in Rocky Four, IV, Ivan Drago, I must break you. If yes, he, he must. If he dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. Um, man, it's a good thing we have Rocky Four, Brett. Otherwise, how would we know who won the Cold War? what a picture um i have have not i saw i've seen rocky Four one time when i was a child uh i was at a i was in another state visiting some friends of my parents they were on a couple's date with like i think a third couple and we were all at the third couple's house watching i guess rocky four i remember a few things about that movie uh i remember Ivan drago i remember i must break you I remember Apollo Creed dying, and I remember that for some reason Rocky's brother is married to a robot in that movie. Uh no, I thought that was uh
1: Mickey. Mickey was married to a robot.
0: No, I think Mickey dies in three, doesn't he? It was definitely Polly. It was definitely Polly and the robot. I
1: don't, I don't know. One of hang them had on.
0: a robot and it was weird. I don't eh. I, I got hang on, I got it right here. Let me Wikipedia page. Uh meanwhile, Rocky has purchased a robot for his brother in law Pauly. Uh, okay. So there you go. Well. paulie's robot, a character that through the years has enjoyed a cult following of its own, was created by International Robotics Inc. in New York City. So yeah, it's paulie's robot. Uh, let me look at the cast because I think yeah, they had killed Burgess Meredith's character off at this point. Yeah, he's not in this movie at all, which is a bummer because Burgess Meredith like lived a long time. <laughs> they probably wrote him out because they're like, look, man, you're getting up there in years. We got to write you out of this thing, uh, and then he just wouldn't die you know which is great um and then it like that was 1985 both of those were in 1985 view to kill rocky 4 1985 uh in 1987 two years later he is the star of masters of the universe so this is his first outing as a star pretty much um he does red scorpion after that the 1989 punisher movie um, and almost immediately, some of these are like coming out straight to video 92. You've got universal soldier, Joshua tree, 93, um, men, of, men of war. One of your favorites, Johnny Mnemonic. See, and I don't know most of these movies because action films have never really been my bag. Uh, he's in the 2003 detention, eventually goes on to do the expendables movies in the two th- in the, the early 2010s. Uh, with his buddy Sliced Alone, does expendables one, two, and three. They keep threatening us with expendables four, but to date it has not happened. Uh, but so this is Dolph Lundgren's first um, starring role. He's got that th- thick Swedish accent. The director has said he wanted to dub over him like with an American actor, similar to what they did with Arnold in um, Hercules in New York. Uh, but Dolph Lundgren actually had a stipulation in his contract that he had, that he could, go in and overdub up to three times if needed before they brought in someone else uh and production ended up running so over time and over budget that goddard just said screw it and just used his natural speaking voice (laughs) thank god he doesn't talk that much in the movie which is weird for a movie starring he-man
1: well, that's, that's the problem with this movie, isn't it, Steven? Is that uh, <laughs> this movie is kind of nothing like the cartoon, right? Like, it's, it's got He-Man. It does. It's got Skeletor. It does. It's got Man-at-Arms for some weird reason, because, you know, that's who they decided to go with. Because he's the Man-at-Arms. I mean, let's be honest. Sure. I mean, I'm not familiar with the cartoon. I don't know who people, which characters people liked. Um uh the female companion Tila. Tila is was she in the cartoon
0: she was she was uh i know she was an action figure i'm assuming she was in the cartoon as well again it was not allowed to watch the cartoon because of evil
1: sure i I mean i didn't know maybe you know after the fact you knew these bits well let me go look it up then well while you do that i'm going to expound upon the fact that this movie is nothing like the cartoon um because skeletor at from the beginning of this movie, Skeletor has already taken control of Castle Grayskull, which is the conceit of the entire cartoon, from what I am to
0: understand. Right. Uh, and he's you start the movie and, surprise, he's successful. Yeah. It's uh, almost like it's trying to pick up where the cartoon left off. Maybe. Because the cartoon ended in 85, I'm seeing here. So this would have been two years after the cartoon.
1: Well, and maybe Maybe it might have come across a little bit better had they might have delved into that a little bit more.
0: Uh, given us a little bit more of a lead in it. it um, First of all, this film is produced by Canon pictures, uh, the Canon group, which is not um, always a mark of such high quality. Um, And if, if you're unfamiliar with Canon films, there is an incredible documentary uh, that I have recently forgotten the name of crap. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can find the name of that documentary. They started as a, they basically got their start doing, um, English language versions of uh, Swedish porn Uh, and then were bought out by uh, two Israeli cousins uh, named Menachem Golan and uh, Yoram Globus, Golan and Globus, uh, who are the guys who kind of just wanted to make movies. And so they are probably best known for, like, I would say early 80s, action uh, exploitation ish movies like not the exploitation stuff from the 70s but like the 80s evolution of that um delta force invasion usa uh enter the ninja uh, exterminator 2 uh their big hits were actually Breakin and break into electric boogaloo um, break in comes out in 1984 is such a big hit that they then release break Two electric boogaloo the same year. That's how big that they, they rushed that thing into production and managed to release it the same year. So it's kind of the, the fast and cheap, um, kind of idea that, um, guys like Roger Corman had pioneers had pioneered and you can kind of see some of that, but that usually ends up leading toward a pretty big return on investment, but they did other stuff. Like they had period dramas like lady Chatterley's lover. I know was a big one. Bolero. Um, They did uh, the Toby Hooper film life force was, was Canon as well. And then they like did like a Cassavetti's movie. They did a Franco Zeffirelli movie, um, uh, a Norman Mailer movie. I mean, they've, they dipped their toes into some other kind of more prestigious stuff as well. But I mean, the, the kind of thing that they were known for is this kind of schlocky action kind of stuff. And they had a decent amount of success with it for a handful of years. Um, they also bought the rights around this time to Spider-Man. Uh, and we're going to make a Spider-Man movie with James Cameron, I believe. Uh, and then that completely fell apart. Uh, the script, or the, at least the script treatment, it's supposed to be a treatment, but it's om- it's almost the size of a full-length uh, screenplay. Um, but it uh, is wild. It's absolutely insane. The script is kind of floating out there online. Uh, if you can find it, uh, you can probably read it and see what I mean. It's kind of bizarre. Um, but they ended up obviously not making that. The rights then reverted back to uh, Marvel, who then sold them off to Columbia, who made the Sam Raimi movies in the early 2000s instead. Uh, so, but I mean, that's kind of, what's the name of this? Okay. The documentary is called Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon films. Uh, it's actually a really great documentary. I highly recommend it. Golan and Globus though, are not a part of that documentary. Uh, they instead, uh, ended up releasing, uh, an a quote unquote authorized, um, documentary the same year called the go-go boys, the inside story of Canon films, which from my understanding is a much rosier picture of Canon during that time. But I have seen electric boogaloo. It is, it's a pretty great documentary and I highly recommend it to our listeners who want to know more about Canon. Um, if you don't want me, you know, if, if you want to know more beyond the list of movies, I just gave you just to kind of show you the kinds of things that they were making at the time.
1: If it's a starship troopers. Would you like to know more?
0: <laughs> and uh, if you would, and if check you out would, the documentary. Cause it's really good. Yeah. I'm usually not a, a, the kind of guy who recommends documentaries, but that is when I will definitely recommend, but yeah, so, so it's made by the Canon group. This, I don't know. It, so I would I would say and this is like I said one of the more expensive movies the Canon group produced during this time. I mean they were you know trying to pull big movies they were trying to make big plays and obviously this was supposed to to start a franchise. Uh it end the, there's a post credit scene in this movie wherein the main villain who has fallen to his death uh emperor palpatine style uh pops his head up out of some weird viscous... Pink goo and snarls into the camera. I'll be back before freeze framing on his weird face.
1: Just cramming together all sorts of references, ones that from stuff that had been made and will be made in the future. Yep, was uh, kind of weird, uh, but uh, another another early post-credit scene like just, like I said about Young Sherlock Holmes. People
0: want to give the MCU credit for these things. They've been around forever, and who knew? My favorite one is at the end of airplane like that. That is my favorite one. Uh, There's a uh, for those of you who have not seen the post credit scene to airplane. There's a a scene early in the movie where the main character, Ted Stryker, uh, gets out of the cab and says, I'll be right back. He gets out of the cab, leaves the meter running. And a couple of times during the course of the film, they cut back to the guy and the meter still running. And then at the end of the film, they cut back after the credits, they cut back to the guy and goes, I'm giving him 10 more minutes and then I'm out of here or something to that effect. And it's especially funny when you realize that this is like actually a well-known fiscally conservative uh, po- politician from California, like the actor playing this guy in the car is actually a fiscally conservative um, politician, which makes it 10 times funnier. Because why would a fiscally conservative politician sit in a cab with the meter running? Ridiculous. That is li- layers layers is what that joke has is funny it's fine but you know ferris there's a there's one at the end of ferris bueller like the 80s were like the wild wild west of post-credit scenes really but in a lot of those cases sometimes there's a story being told through the credits like ferris bueller or even to a lesser extent young sherlock holmes where you just see like a carriage driving all the way through the credits and then you see the carriage reach its destination and find out who it's um who the uh the person is behind the uh behind or who's been taking the trip, which is Moriarty. I uh, I, did, I realized after we recorded that episode, Brett, that I never ended up telling anyone what the uh what the post credit scene was. We never ended up talking about it.
1: No. So hopefully you all went and watched it and you know yourselves. Uh, if not, I'm not going to tell you now. So, I mean, I kind of just did. You kind of just did. Uh But if you missed it, yeah, pay more if pay you- better attention to our podcast. Seriously. first of all
0: pause this one go listen you've already downloaded it so we've already got your download go listen to our young sherlock holmes episode if you've already listened to it go listen to it again and then come back and pick up where you left off here yeah we'll wait we'll wait all right so we've literally sat here in silence for an hour and a half um we've just kind of spliced the audio together. I, cut it, I cut it
1: i cut it down in
0: post don't worry appreciate that um so we're back and you're back, and uh, let's talk a little bit about Masters of the Universe. Yeah,
1: so I, I was going to actually talk about how, for an 80s movie, because don't get me wrong, there's some effects-heavy 80s movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this one seems to be on par with, like, effects-heavy movies of later years. Like, it's just, there are special effects all over this movie.
0: Yeah, it's a very effects-heavy movie. It's very effects-heavy. It's Some works and some doesn't. Correct. Um some have the some honestly, I would say a lot of the creature effects have a a kind of uh Star Wars Cantina vibe to them. Like Beast Man looks like a character out of the Star Wars Cantina from from the original Star Wars ten years earlier.
1: Yeah, I mean, and let's 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 not miss words here. That entire like scene where she's she's gathered all the the mercenaries.
0: (laughs) Bounty bounty hunters. hunters. We don't need this, Scum.
1: Uh, you know, and I'm waiting for her to tell one of them no disintegrations. Like it's right. just, it's, it's, a,
0: <laughs> it's not
1: a blatant ripoff, but it's pretty
0: close. Well, I mean, and that's, but it, at, it's 1987 Empire Strikes Back is, or Return of the Jedi is four years earlier. Uh, Star Wars is still a cultural phenomenon. It changed the game. I mean, there is no masters of the universe movie without there's no master of the universe toy line without star wars i mean master of the universe does not exist without star wars period so attention must be paid man it's it's kind of hard to shake that just the specter of star wars there is and i want to do one of these days i want to do a theme month of just movies responding to star wars like after star wars comes out in 77 There's this like string of movies trying to do what Star Wars did and failing, uh, trying to kick off their own franchises as a result of the success of Star Wars. And it just doesn't work. Um, One of these days I would like to do that. Don't hold your breath for it. We've got some other theme months and some other good stuff coming, but maybe one day we'll get to do that. I hope so.
1: Yeah, honestly, I'm not too familiar with any of those. I mean, I might be if you were to list them off right now, but I can't.
0: Uh, I know two of the two of the most popular ones are going to be uh, Buck Rogers in the 24th century and uh, Flash Gordon, uh, both of which are movies that George Lucas wanted to make instead of Star Wars and no one would let him. So he ended up creating his own new thing and that ended up becoming like the most successful thing. So just just
1: this is the director equivalent of like, you know what, I'm making myself blackjack yeah. and
0: hookers. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that's literally, uh, that's the story of Watchmen as well. Alan Moore uh, goes to DC with this great idea using Charlton Comics characters and DC had just bought the rights to Charlton. And DC basically says, "Um, we just bought these characters and we kind of want to use them. We don't want you to ruin them for people. So no. And so he's like, fine, I'll just make my own characters. He's not the question. He's Rorschach. And instead of having a blank face mask, he's got moving blobs on it. Oh, it's it's not Captain Adam, It's Dr. Manhattan. And instead of a giant, a, you know, a giant atom on his chest, he's got a symbol for hydrogen on his forehead. Like, it's that kind of thing. Like, it's DC, a very, very one for one correlation across that entire series. DC, can I copy your homework? Sure, just don't make it too obvious. Exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. But we'll but talk about at, that Look at whenever the success of those them.
1: things. Look at yeah, but like they worked, which is it, ridiculous.
0: Exactly. And that's so you know, had someone let them use the properties that inspired those things, perhaps the it could have breathed new life into those properties. Um, but we'll never know because they foolishly said no.
1: Well, unless we can get a hold of this key that will punch a hole through another dimension through space. And, and or time. Yeah, and then then we got the TVA on our ass and so nobody wants that either. <laughs> now we're making branch timelines.
0: We are also, it should be noted, recording this episode literally the day before the Loki finale airs on Disney Plus. Uh so I'm going to use this time to throw out my crazy Loki theory which I am 100% positive will not happen on the show. Brett, I've told you this theory already. Um but I'm going to put it on air here. If it ends up being true, I'm going to kind of look brilliant. If it doesn't, I'm going to look like an idiot. I just cut it. If it's not true. There you go. Um, So, um, but leave all this part in and then literally just cut the theory. Just cut around me saying the theory. All right. So here's, here's the theory. So that's it. That's the theory. It's pretty crazy, but would be kind of cool if true. I don't think it's going to be true. I think you're going to have to cut that out is what I think is going to end up happening, but
1: I'll leave it in. it will be fun.
0: You don't have it's to, fine. no, no, I, I legitimately do want you to cut it out. If that happens. Uh, well,
1: um, well then, but... if you heard that he was right. Uh, if you heard this, he was wrong. There
0: you go. There you go. There it is. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be wrong, but, uh, I'm okay with being wrong because I'm not one of those people that are, uh has my entire experience ruined uh by not having the thing I wanted to have happen, happen. Sometimes I'm just, it's all about the journey, man.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's all about theorizing and just having fun with connecting dots and don't just, be a fan.
0: Just like stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's unless you're a fan of alligator Loki,
0: just you can be a fan of alligator Loki because I mean, or honestly, I, another thing that I put on my personal social media account uh, is that, and I actually wrote this the week episode four dropped, uh, when all you saw of Richard E. Grant was just him in a Loki costume. Uh, Richard E. Grant is to Loki what Werner Herzog is to um, the Mandalorian. And then I, I found a picture of Richard E. Grant as classic Loki and uh, made a meme that said, I would like to see the glorious purpose, which is is pretty funny. I would say so. And, no. and maybe maybe I'll put it up on our social media when this episode drops. We need a we need a crossover episode with
1: uh, Grogu and Alligator Loki. Just going on adventures.
0: Oh man, that having would be a, the
1: best. That's been a wonderful time.
0: That would be they're just living their best lives. Oh, I, truly, you'd love to see it. I would love to see it. I would pay money to see that Disney. Do it, you know Disney. You're listening cowards, the cowards. Do it, freaking you, cowards, Disney. You won't. No, you won't. I know you won't. Two more, brand management. <laughs> fools. Fools. Absolute fools. Um let's talk a little bit about the director. Gary Goddard uh was an Imagineer at Disney. Speaking uh, of Disney. Right. Speaking of speaking of those cowards at Disney. Um, he was an Imagineer at Disney uh and then got hired by Universal Studios to basically direct and maybe create, but definitely direct their uh Conan the Barbarian live show. And on the strength of that live show, they tapped him to direct this movie, um, which seems wild. Uh, He had his only previous credit was in 1981, where he wrote the screenplay to the Bo Derek and Richard Harris starring Tarzan, the ape man, which is the story of Tarzan told through the eyes of Jane as played by Bo Derek. So you've got 10 herself and O.G. Dumbledore himself. Uh, in a Tarzan movie, and neither one of them is playing Tarzan. The poster doesn't even have Tarzan on it. It is literally Bo Derek in a bikini swinging on a vine. That's it. I mean, if you want to sell a movie, I get it.
1: Exactly. Who cares about the content? You got Bo Derek in a bikini on the poster. Let's go.
0: It's called Tarzan. Is she Tarzan? Oh, who cares? So this is his very first film that he ever directed. He was a... Um, an art director at one point he actually worked on the game candyland for milton bradley and he is the inspiration for the design of king candy uh interestingly and in fact he said everyone on his team was the inspiration for one of the characters on that game
1: it's gotta be the weirdest bit of trivia i've heard
0: in a very long time right like a lot of toy people involved here Uh, but he also went on to do Um, To be the writer for the T2 3D Battle Across Time ride, the Jurassic Park pre-show video, um, Star Trek, the experience, the Klingon encounter. Uh, Like he did a lot of those like shorts you would see before, like, or as you're getting on the ride kind of things. Actually directed the one for Jurassic Park, the ride, which still airs at Universal, at least the last time I was there a few years ago. Like it's still there. It's still Richard Attenborough, like up there being awesome, doing his thing, uh, which they filmed in like '96, so shortly after the original movie came out in '94. So, yeah, was it '93? I always get those two years mixed up.
1: I think it was '94, Um, but I am on I am on record on this podcast, I believe, as being a very big amusement park fan. Mm -hmm. I love
0: all of those things.
1: I love all of the 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 pre ride lore because that's what it is
0: it's, it's essentially what it is yeah um
1: so uh, he also
0: directed he was also the stage director for the battle across time uh show as well so like the, the the live show like where the actors who like definitely not linda hamilton and definitely not eddie furlong and definitely not arnold schwarzenegger are running across the stage hmm. uh yeah he directed all that action too so that's pretty neat yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, that ride no longer exists, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, but I rode it once, and it was pretty great.
1: Man, I, I never got to.
0: You can find a lot of the walkthroughs on YouTube. Obviously, they're not the same. Um,
1: no, but you, still, you can also, I believe you can also find just people that have uploaded those videos. Mm-hmm. You can just go watch them.
0: Yeah, I did. I watched the, the walkthrough of Muppet Vision 3D not that long ago and man that was fun that was a fun little one of the last muppet projects that jim henson was jim henson was actually involved in too so
1: oh wow, that's super cool
0: yeah so you know just as as i was doing my muppet rewatch uh either last year or earlier this year i don't honestly remember when i did that but uh popped that on and had a good time with that that was good so uh but yeah so gary goddard also uh the biggest chunk of his uh filmography Uh, He is the creator of a show called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, uh, which ran from 1987 to 1988, a show I have literally never heard of before in my life, but looks um, uh, ridiculous.
1: It sounds extremely familiar to me, and I don't know why, because I don't think I ever
0: watched it. It looks like it ran for a season. It starred Tim Dunnigan, Peter McNeil, Sven Ole Thorson himself. Who else we got here? Maurice Dean Wint, Jessica Steen. I mean, a lot of uh, Sven Ole Thorson is the only one of these actors I have any kind of familiarity with at all. Um, so obviously, not a super big hit. Not a lot of people came out of this movie. Uh, although one of the people on the writing staff, it should be noted, uh, none other than the creator of Babylon Five himself, J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, Also an episode written by comics, great Marv Wolfman as well. So a couple names on the, on the, on the writing staff, at least that I recognize. So, uh, but yeah, not familiar with that show at all Um, was probably not uh, allowed to step to watch those uh, a show like that when I was a child. So not terribly surprising Uh, written by David O'Dell, who has an equally bizarre career. Um, His screenplays leading up to this movie include Cry Uncle, Running Scared, um, 48 episodes of The Muppet Show, The Dark Crystal, potential future episode of this podcast, Supergirl. And then in 1985, he does Fozzie's Muppet Scrapbook. So a lot of Muppet stuff, a lot of Muppet stuff. And then this is the very last film screenplay he is credited with writing. After this, he mostly sticks to TV through the rest of the 80s. He does an episode of a show called Tales from the Dark Side, three episodes of a show called Monsters, um, one in 98 or one in 88, two in 90. And then he does two Muppet videos. um, It's the Muppets, meet the Muppets, and it's the Muppets, more Muppets, please. Uh, And then his very last writing credit is on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which as far as I know, he had no involvement with. uh, He is credited as motion picture screenplay by Like that is his credit on that show. So it's kind of like one of those based on the thing by this other guy, Um, but very prolific there in the the early to mid 80s. And then just not all of a sudden, which I find really weird. Uh, David O'Dell, if you're listening, uh, give us a call. Let us know what happened to you. Shoot us an email, disinfranchod at gmail.com. If you know what happened to David Odell, let us know. did he we, just retire we'll, and disappear? Like what? Yeah. I mean, if 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 we can find him, we'll have him on our Supergirl episode and we'll talk with him because we need we're we're probably gonna need to cover Supergirl one of these days. So probably. Yeah. Whenever yeah. the
1: next uh, next big DC movie comes out, probably. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll 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 slot it in. We've we've got we've got content to slide. We could probably do a DC month with all the failed DC franchise starters too. Accurate. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there, or okay. maybe a DC versus Marvel month because Marvel's had a few as well. Yeah. The Dolph and Punisher, Howard the Duck. I mean, there, there are a few out there that we could maybe do a back and forth kind of thing. I don't know. I'm just now we're just having on air production meetings is what we're doing now. Yeah,
1: a peek behind the curtain.
0: Whatever we can do to not talk about Masters of the Universe, I guess.
1: Look, this happens on movies that are bad. Uh, We find ways to avoid talking about it because we don't like to punch down folks we don't right. uh we don't like to destroy movies that are bad unless they're really bad we're exactly. sorry we're sorry electra uh, <laughs> sorry but- electra
0: that one just came out a couple weeks ago sorry sorry but uh to a couple more people i want to talk about uh basically uh i want to talk about courtney cox uh this is kind of uh pre-fame courtney cox she has just a few years earlier achieved superstardom as the girl in the Bruce Springsteen video that he pulls up on stage during a concert. Yeah. Um, and I say super stardom somewhat tongue in cheek, but also somewhat seriously, because like apparently that music video was a big deal. And like, she was a plant in the audience at an actual Bruce Springsteen concert that he actually pulled up on stage, but like she was kind of a big deal after that for a little while. Um Oh, Stephen! Only...
1: Do you remember the days when music
0: videos were could be big deals? Uh, I I I barely remember the days when there were music videos because uh, they don't seem to make those much anymore. If they do, they're on TikTok for twenty seconds.
1: I mean, music
0: videos get made a
1: lot they? now. They do actually. Um, I, I've I actually know. I've got some stuff to show you after this recording actually. Oh dear. Uh, I went down a rabbit hole, man. I found a really cool new band and I went down a rabbit hole and they've got a lot of music videos and it's really cool. Um okay. but uh they do still make music videos, just uh, you know, they release them straight to YouTube
0: because there isn't a mu- music video channel anymore. I mean, there technically is one that's supposed to be, but yeah. Let's be honest, most most cable networks that started as doing one thing are not doing this. Th- I'm surprised the home shopping network doesn't have original programming now. Like the right. History Channel is all like reality TV shows now. Um, VH1 and and MTV have been mostly reality TV programs since the early 90s, really. Um, it's, ah, it's a shame. Uh, she has been in one move. This is Courtney Cox's second ever movie. Her first movie was uh, a movie called Down Twisted, where she plays a character called Tara. And then, of course, after this, she is in Cocoon, colon, The Return. What if there was a return? Uh, and then, I mean, is kind of just a working actress until, uh, I mean, she's in a 1994 episode of Seinfeld as Jerry's girlfriend, Meryl. Uh, who pretends to be his wife and then later that same year a little show called friends and she becomes like uh, is is then on her way to being one of the most highly paid actresses in hollywood um because they never heard of it yeah interesting okay i mean it was on for about 10 years um only reason i i can't pretend i haven't heard of it is my sister was a huge fan of friends so i've seen just about every episode of that show
1: yeah i mean look i'm joking let's let's, let's not let's not try to do this bit uh just who hasn't seen friends that thing is everywhere even when i even when i wanted to avoid it i couldn't
0: i mean it because it was if it wasn't if you weren't watching it when it was airing it was syndicated everywhere yeah like it was it was essentially unavoidable um but of course the the role that you and i probably associate her most with is her role in the scream franchise indeed as Gail Weathers, and she is apparently returning for Scream Five, uh, which is just titled Scream, one of those uh, sequels that has the exact same name as the movie that preceded it. Um, so there's that, uh, along with Halloween, The Thing, and two Shaft movies. So I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. There's no point there. It's just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, so Courtney Cox, early Courtney Cox role, uh, and then Robert Duncan McNeil. Tom Paris himself, we were talking about Star Trek earlier. Um, He's he's Star Trek Voyager. uh, And I know who he is mostly because I did watch the first couple seasons of Voyager. But my friend Sarah from college. Hi, Sarah. If you're listening, I don't know if she listens to this or not. But if she does, hi. uh, Had a huge crush on Robert Duncan McNeil. uh, And she was a huge Trek nerd and would go to like the conventions and like get him to sign stuff for her. But she just thought he was the, the cat's pajamas. Um, has not done an acting role since 2012, Robert Duncan McNeil. He was in an episode of Chuck, and that is the last the TV TV has seen of Robert Duncan McNeil. Hasn't really done much. He's uh, apparently been uh, been starring as himself in a couple of things, which I guess that doesn't really count. Uh, He's directing a lot now, it looks like. Uh, Directing a lot of TV. That's good. At least he didn't drop off the face of
1: the earth, so that's good.
0: Yeah, he's directed, he's directed a lot of episodes of Chuck. Uh, he did an episode of Smash. A lot of like one, two, three episode runs. Uh, 14 episodes of Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, though. Not uh, familiar. Neither am I. Uh, oh, but, okay. you know, just, he's done a couple episodes of the Orville, though. Uh, the Star Trek homage. And uh, a couple episodes of the upcoming Turner and Hooch series for Disney Plus. He's directed as well. So there you go. Robert Duncan McNeil, not not gone. Today, I've learned there's going to be a Turner and Hooch series on Disney Plus. Yeah, you didn't know about that. I had no idea. Yeah, that's that's happening. I think it it might actually like the first episode might be dropping very soon. We could have easily done Turner and Hooch this week, but we didn't. No. Uh, And then I do just want to recognize and I'm sure you recognized him because he is in one of the all time great film franchises of all time. James Tolkien principal strickland himself principal strickland himself yes (laughs) um back to the future top gun war games and masters of the universe are kind of his his most well-known films and of course principal strickland in um back to the future we love him uh what a great guy still around still kicking he's uh he just turned can't do math uh 90 this year
1: well damn good for him
0: Yeah. yeah james tolkien way to go man Uh, last last thing he was in he plays a uh, expedition back to the future is a tv mini series and he plays strickland slash guard he was in a fan remake of back to the future last year as mr strickland he is also in the film bone tomahawk as the pianist wow so there you go if you've seen bone tomahawk you've which I have. I don't remember a pianist in that movie, so I may have to go back and rewatch it. But James Tolkien, we we like him. He's a good guy. I, I we actually don't know him personally, but I'm assuming based on context, he's a good guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, usually the good the good
0: people play the assholes. <laughs> you know, playing against type. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, there you go. I mean, Masters of the Universe, uh, not a movie we liked. Brett, anything more you got to say? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, look, I, I I think there's some stuff in here worth grabbing onto. Like, and sometimes when you're in a movie this bad, you just kind of look for anything you can grab onto. Usually, what I tend to latch onto are performances. Uh, like, I think Frank Langella is doing great work here. I think Billy Barty is doing a really good job. Uh, just the just the joy in Frank Langella's performance is contagious for me. Kind of like watching Raul Julia in Street Fighter. Like, you're just kind of like, this is fun. We're having a blast. Um, And he's having a good time, like you're having a good time because he's having a good time. Um, But I mean, the movie itself as a whole, it's a mess. It's really kind of a mess. Um, And like I said, the whole middle half of the movie is just everyone kind of chasing the MacGuffin. Like it's like this is happening because we need something to happen here and literally no other reason, which is disappointing.
1: Yeah, this, this movie definitely suffered from maybe being a little bit too long oh for sure uh, there was definitely a couple points when i wasn't dozing off there was definitely
0: a couple points where i'm uh,
1: like this movie so we still got 45 minutes
0: mm-hmm. this
1: movie still yeah. got a half hour
0: i uh i made the mistake of trying to rewatch this movie today before uh, this episode to kind of because re- it's been a, like i mentioned earlier a couple of weeks since i watched this the first time because we were supposed to record this a little while ago and we got busy because hey life life happens um, it happens um it's still going to come out on time that's all that matters Yeah, exactly. um but we uh i i tried to refresh and i i was literally like my head was kind of back and i was and then i'd hear billy barty and i'm like mm, what? what's going on right here frankly john i'm like mm, 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 mm. but unfortunately they're not the main characters of this movie and you spend time with actors that you recognize doing really boring things um skeletor did say he would be back and for all intents and purposes the plan was for him to come back like the plan was there there was a plan for a sequel it was called masters of the universe 2 colon cyborg it had a director albert pune who is supposed to direct the film uh albert pune directed a movie we will absolutely probably cover one of these days the 1990 matt salinger captain america movie um we'll we'll absolutely probably get there one of these days um but and his idea well, he was also the director who was supposed to be giving them their spider-man movie he was going to actually do master of the universe 2 and spider-man back to back but because this movie did as horribly as it did they kind of pulled the plug early in pre or like pretty deep into pre-production and so uh pune had to rewrite the script and it came out as 1989's cyborg so the movie cyborg was originally supposed to be um he-man too it apparently involved he-man coming back to earth because skeletor found his way there and turned it into a post-apocalyptic wasteland question mark it was supposed to have she-ra in it apparently it was supposed to um uh, have another pretty well-known character in it that i don't remember off the top of my head uh trap jaw supposed to have trap jaw in it as well but um but yeah, it didn't happen, and we got Cyborg instead. So let's get
1: it. Let's just make a sequel that's even further away from the cartoon. Yeah. Because uh, the other thing I I remembered, it's weird that I never really watched the cartoon, but I remember a lot of it. Uh, is that he's he's He Man the entire movie? Yeah, he's uh, never Prince Adam. He's never Prince Adam, and actually, Prince Adam is never even mentioned as a thing. Correct. As, as if as if He Man is just always He Man.
0: At all times. Yep. It would be like making a Superman movie without Clark Kent. And pretending Clark Kent didn't exist. Correct. Pretending like no one knew who Clark Kent was, and Superman was always ever just Superman. Such a weird um, decision. Weird. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. But I but and again, this is early days in trying to adapt these kinds of properties. And the idea is movies are different from blank, you know, whatever the original thing is. Um, so it's less that the, you know, the, the, you're trying to make a movie, so you're doing things that make sense for movies, at least that you think, but they're not really true to the property. Uh, like we can't have Orko; Orko is going to be too hard to translate to the screen. So I don't know. We'll just put Billy Barty in some weird makeup, and we'll call him Gildor, I guess. Um, Which is fine, but it, what what kind of irks me though
1: is it would have been incredibly easy to make scenes where he-man is on, on earth. A place he never goes in the show. No, just but to be clear, but how much more would he have? Cause you know, he's, he's he-man, but like he transforms back into Prince Adam when he's on earth to fit in better. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like a normal human being on earth. If he were to
0: like, be like, oh, I'm looking, I stick out too much like this. I'm, I'm, I'm a shirtless Dolph Lundgren in the middle of a, of a, of a small town. Yeah. Quick, quick, wear a clothes with, with a giant sword and a loincloth and a cape, a cape, a
1: red cape. Let me, uh, let me put on some regular clothes and actually be a person. And maybe I fit in with these other humans, you know. That's it. I mean, think, think kind of like a combination of He Man and the first Thor movie, like he's he's the
0: the fish out of water
1: fish of out of water all. situation yeah
0: which i mean you get a little bit of that like the scene where gwildor steals the the bucket of ribs out of the back of the car and they're all eating it and they're like oh this is so good i've never had food like this and they're like why do they put it on these sticks oh those are rib bones and they're all like wait we're eating an animal <laughs> they all suddenly get really grossed out except for man-at-arms who's like man yeah, at I, arms.
1: Love this, I love the shit so good
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah you, the, the kind of shit you have to do when you're in war You know, no compromises don't think while you're eating I think is his line which you're just like man this guy has seen some stuff like this guy <laughs> this guy has made compromises in his life that he is not thinking about and who knew this movie had a vegan agenda <laughs> uh, hey it happens man Texas Chainsaw Massacre that whole movie is just one big vegan agenda so
1: you're not yeah. wrong Human barbecue will definitely make you a vegan.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the, the second one is chili. It's human chili, and the way that guy says "good prime meat" like twenty times in a row just turns my stomach every time. Uh, does does a very good job of making you want to throw up. Oh yeah, it's they're gross. Um, it's it's exactly the kind of thing you want from a movie like that. Uh, so this movie comes out August seventh, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, It grosses in its opening weekend $4.8 million, which is enough for third place at the box office Uh, in the number one slot in its second week. Maintaining its number one position is the latest James Bond film with my personal favorite Bond, Mr. Timothy Dalton, Uh, and it's uh, The Living Daylights. So there's that. Uh, Number two is Stakeout. Uh, which is a new movie this week. That's the uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Emilio Estevez movie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, In third place, as we said before, Masters of the Universe. In fourth place in its third week, down from three the week before, is the Lou Diamond Phillips starring Richie Valens biopic La Bamba. And then in fifth place, a movie I know you love, and it's second weekend down from number two the week before, a movie we can unfortunately not cover on this podcast because they very recently, within the last 10 years, made some direct-to-DVD sequels. It's The Lost Boys. It's very unfortunate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe one of the best Joel Schumacher movies? I would say so, yeah. Rounding out the top 10, you've got RoboCop, Summer School, Back to the Beach, uh, that would be a fun one to cover. I don't even know if they made if that was supposed to be like re start a, a back to the beach or a, uh, you know, a beach franchise. But that would be a fun one to cover uh, a re-release of Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs. And in 10th place, a movie called Who's That Girl? What if there's a girl and we didn't know who she was? Uh, and then the only other movie on this list, so I might as well name it. It's uh, in 11th place in its ninth week maintaining its 11th place is predator which is a movie that uh you and i also both enjoy hell yeah um but this movie so it it opens at 4.8 million it grosses a domestic box office no worldwide gross on this one uh domestic box office of 17.3 was pretty much out of out of theaters three weeks into its theatrical run Did not do very well at all. Was not the hit they were hoping for, obviously, did not kick off the franchise they were hoping it would kick off. Uh, So, kind of a bummer. The Tomatometer score is 13%. Critics' consensus Masters of the Universe is a slapdash adaptation of the He Man mythos that can't overcome its cynical lack of raison d'etre, no matter how admirably Frank Langella throws himself into the role of Skeletor, which. Pretty pretty consistent with what we've said. Uh, the Metascore is 35, uh, based on nine critic reviews. Two of those positive, three mixed, and four negative. And the Letterboxd score on this is 2.4. So, Brett, how did you rate Masters of the Universe out of five stars?
1: I started this episode at a half. I'm actually gonna go with a full half star uh a full half star full half star um but you know frank are really doing some stuff mm-hmm. and i can't really fault him for that mm-hmm. so i'm, I'm he, he's earned this movie an extra full half star so he gets a a full full one single star
0: <laughs> i went a little higher i gave street fighter uh one and a half stars when I watched it and I, I gave Masters of the Universe the same, I gave it 1.5 stars. Um, again, not uh, what I would consider a good movie, uh, but you get a half star for uh, Billy Barty, you get a half star for Frank Langella, and it all comes out in the wash. Um, is it a great movie? No. Is it a fun movie? No. But Frank Langella is having fun, and I have fun watching Frank Langella have fun.
1: Yeah, that works for me.
0: Same. I'm I'm okay with watching Frank Langella have a good time. That's that is okay by me. So that is our episode on uh Masters of the Universe. Unless you've got anything else you really want to add, Brett. Absolutely not. Uh I uh I that's that's all I've got as well. So I guess it's time to say, um, check us out on social media. We are on uh Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now letterboxed at disinfranch pod uh, please reach out to us, get in touch with us, follow us on social media, let us know what you think. Uh, you can shoot us an email also at disenfranchepod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know we've, we're kicking around some merch ideas. If you guys want to buy t-shirts or mugs or and mouse pads, or I don't know, whatever other bumper stickers, whatever stuff we can slap our logo on, uh, let us know. We've got some ideas. Our, our buddy Tucker reached out to us recently and said he would buy a A T-shirt, maybe a mug, because he likes cups. So if you're into cups, let us know. Disinfranchepod at gmail.com, something that we're currently considering. Um, If you are a fan of this podcast, please uh, let us know on Apple Podcasts. Actually, whatever podcatcher you use would be great. Apple Podcasts would be a little extra special good. Um, five stars, please. And thank you. If you write us a review there, we will, and you include a, a franch, a failed franchise starter. You want us to cover, we will probably cover it on this podcast sooner than later. Um, I mean, we've got most of the rest of this year spoken for, um, but not all of it. And we've got not very much of next year spoken for at all. So, uh, hit us up. We'll probably cover it. We've, we've got some ideas, but we're open to others. So let us know. Um, I am, uh, at chewy walrus steven fox really is my name at chewy walrus on uh instagram on Facebook, or not on facebook don't look don't find me on facebook uh instagram letterboxd or twitter brett such as you are extant on social media where can we find you you can find me on instagram
1: and letterboxed at sus underscore warlock
0: awesome well i guess that's all we've got for today so until next time for my I'm Stephen Foxworthy. This is a disenfranchised podcast for my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself. I actually have the power. How dare you? I took it from you while you weren't looking. You and now it is mine. Son of a bitch. I have it.